this is my amazing husband. He's going to be helping me because to me, honestly, my story isn't my story without him. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm Darren. I'm her husband. And uh, she drugged me kicking and screaming into all of this. And uh, I mean that in the most complimentary way. Uh, it's funny how God puts people in your lives that, um, how can I say this, hit you with a hammer and pull you to places that you never thought you would go. And um, I was a stubborn nail. I was a real stubborn nail. But God has a way that if you just go, the people you love around you will follow. And I didn't know that until that time. So we've been together 12 years, married for 10. No, but married for 10. And it was about eight years ago. I'm going to let her pick up the rest. But I'm her, I'm going to say this because I'm very proud of this. I am her biggest hype man ever. I am her biggest supporter ever. And I didn't know that I was going to have to be that until about a year and a half ago she took over a church. No, I did not want to do that. I, did, I, don't, I didn't have a grid for the church thing. She did. And I said, I don't know what I'm getting into, but I didn't know one thing. Being a woman pastor is tough. It's very tough. So you know what? God said, you got her back. You got her back. So I guarantee you, anybody mess with her, they got to they gotta go through me. So I'm going to turn this over. She can tell the rest of the story right now. Yeah. And then I'll be like, hey, tell this. So I'm Heather. We are from New Orleans, obviously. Um, I'm a wife, a mom. And I have two businesses. Um, I have a beauty salon in the city. And then I also have a wedding business where we adorn the bride. Right? How prophetic is that? They're um, the best in New Orleans, by the way. <laughs> to meet their groom. You know, so we go in. I have a whole team, a whole staff of people. And we specialize in going on location and getting the bride ready for her wedding and the bridal party. We also, I'm a pastor, as he said, we have an inner city ministry. Yes, that's the fun one on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. <laughs> but we've been doing that for about seven years, and um, it's just been, that's honestly just the, I guess the genesis of who we are. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about my encounter. But so we have that, then we're um, stewarding a move of God in a bar on Bourbon Street with Chris and Danielle. So crazy. Um, yeah, so anyway, people ask me, hey, what are your hobbies? What do you do with your free time? And I'm like, what's free time, yeah. right? And I took some notes um, on our journey because I feel like there were specific things that I was brought here to impart from what we've gone through and what we've experienced. So my whole life got flipped, turned upside down. I sound like the Prince of Bel-Air. In yeah. <laughs> <laughs> West Philadelphia, born and raised on the plate. Okay. But about seven years ago, I had this crazy encounter with Jesus. Okay. That totally changed 
my life. It actually changed who I was. It's it like scared me. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. But I had grown up a pastor's kid, right? And there's a lot of good things in that. There's a lot of great things. I, I remember being a kid and watching the lame walk, you know, does anybody know that, um, Charles and Francis Hunter, the happy hunters, well, they are very close friends with my, my parents, my family, and they would come and we would see miraculous things happen. But then also we would see, I mean, our family, you know, that being a pastor is just hard. You have a, and especially actually being a pastor's kid, you have a target on your head. Does any, is there any PKs in here? Yes. Yeah, see, they I mean, were coming after you in the church. I know they said, if you mess up, come on, you, know, you live in this fishbowl yeah. and your parents, like my parents were always, they didn't mean to be, they were being just what they, they were doing what they knew, but they'd be like, you better never do that. Don't embarrass us. You know, it was always this pressure because I represented them and we had to be like this, like perfect facade, you know? So there was a lot of resentment and, you know, like church hurt. And then, so I, I said, I'll never be in ministry. Like, <laughs> no way, never. And I remember being 16 years old and my parents drug me to a Rodney Howard Brown revival. Ho! He he ha ha ho. Um, and I actually love how people say that the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. Because I didn't even want to be there. I was 16. I didn't want to leave my friends. And my parents were like in the whole revival circuit. So they were traveling and like bringing me around. So I'm in this Rodney Howard Brown meeting. I'm like, I'm sitting there with my hands folded and like, you know, just not wanting to be there. And I remember sitting there and before I knew it, like the power of God hit me and I started weeping and crying and God took me into visions of what he wanted me to do with my life. And he, he showed me, you know, preaching and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I don't want to. So like I always crack up and like God would never ask you or never do something that you don't want him to do. I'm like, really? Cuz um he did. But from that point on, I was like I I totally like that attitude left and I was on fire for Jesus, you know. I was the rule follower. Any rule followers? Yeah. Chris doesn't raise his hand. Course. I try to break the rules a lot. So any non-rule followers, I love y'all. Y'all are awesome. Y'all are see, my type of people. See how like opposite, my type of people. opposites attract, right? So I followed all the religious rules, all the rules that the church gave me. Okay. Being a rule follower is actually, you know, a good thing. Except when you follow the rules more than you follow Jesus. Because what I found is a lot of times that Jesus will go, he will break the rules. And, and it's contrary to what conventional wisdom tells you he will call you to do. It's an upside down world. It and is. it always will be in his world. So the things you think or society says you ought to do, you actually do it the opposite you know you were talking about in our strength it's actually in our weakness yes. it's our weakness that we're the strongest yes. 
because it allows him to work through. And that's where you find yourself the greatest is in your weakness. Absolutely. And so I did all the things they told me. I kissed dating goodbye. Does anybody remember that? Like, you couldn't date, you know. You definitely couldn't drink or smoke. Like, I couldn't drink or chew or hang with those that do. Um, Look at you now, baby, on the streets of New Orleans. That's all I do now. With the (laughs) prostitutes and everybody else. And you are in the midst of it, girl. So now I do. See, rules, God breaks the rules, right? So anyway, they told me, they said, um, you got to be equally yoked. So you got to marry someone who's like on fire for Jesus and da-da-da-da-da and whatever. So that's what I did, all right? This is just part of my story. I'm not saying don't try this at home. Don't missionary date. It is good to like you know, be equally yoked. So I'm sorry, David, I, I'm correcting that. But I, I did, I, I actually married a preacher. And so I was like, well, you know, religion. See, I think that the reason religion is so um, appealing to us rule followers is because it's quantifiable. It's do this. And you're going to get this, right? So I did the thing. And I, I mean, we were, I, we got married in six months because we had kissed dating goodbye. So you couldn't date. You had to like, you had to. <laughs> they were on to, the fast track. <laughs> yeah. You had to group date and, you know, whatever. Chaperones. I mean, it was so retarded. So, um. We get married. We're like full-fledged in ministry. We're on staff at a big church in New Orleans. And long story short, I'm not going to get into that. And I usually leave out the details because my children, I always think like, what if my children ever see this? Because everything's on the internet now. So you're like, so I don't want to talk about their daddy. Thanks, Dave. I don't want to talk about my baby daddy. But it ended. (laughs) All snap. Let's just put it this way. It ended really, really bad. And to the point of him not even, not only not being in ministry and not even being in church. And just a lot of, it was messy. Very, very messy. So it ended in divorce. And then what happened was, what happened was that the church, instead of um, embracing me and loving me, instead of that being my safe place, they gossiped about the swirly stuff around our divorce and I just felt completely you know dejected and I was like at one point I was like um God I love you but your people suck I hope I can say that here okay good at least I didn't say turd like Brad Wait, honey, a, you just said. I just dropped that you like just a turd. You said turd, what he said. Well, he said it, so now I have permission. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so listen, she, she does the one thing that she thought would be good for her at the time. And she starts looking for someone that was nowhere near Christ. Yeah. So Guess I, who she found? 
<laughs> she found me. So this is what I said. I was like, I'm going to be this rule follower, good church girl, ain't never partied or done anything. It's time to break some rules. You Come know on. what I'm saying? And so I was like, and then what I also did, which was actually God, but I started my business and God breathed on it. It, it did. And, and honestly, like my motivation for that was not the right motivation. It was success is the greatest revenge, right? So I was like, mm -hmm, I'll show you. I am I-N-D-E-P-E. -E. I got my own house, my own car. Like, I don't need a man to, like, take care of me. So my motivation in that was, like, I'm going to show him and everybody else. And she did to the point where yeah. she trained eight out of the top ten hair and makeup companies in New Orleans right now. And she sent them out. And her business is still growing to this day. Now her sister. My sister yeah. runs it so it I can preach. So I can preach, do what I said I never do. But one of the cardinal rules that I broke, because I was like, I tried Christian men. I, I married a preacher and look what it got me. So I was like, I'm going to marry a heathen. <laughs> I did, y'all. Y'all. Y'all, this was, it was like absolutely it was premeditated. You know how it wasn't like. No, it wasn't. No. no I was like, I'm so. going to find me a good man. Like, you know, that drinks beer. Good old country Jesus. boy. From Kentucky. Yeah. And she found me, guess where? In New Orleans. In New Orleans. And it's so funny how um, we think we're running from God. See, I thought that I was taking a break from God. I was like, you know, I don't even want to say what I said. So I won't repeat that. But I was like, I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to be successful, and y'all can all bite it, and like just, you know, whatever. And we think that we're running from God. And the thing is that when you are marked by God, you can run but you end up running. I was running right to God. See, I didn't know that because I was like, no, I'm nowhere near God. So if you're running but to me. Really? And then Regina and I were talking about it yesterday. How? And I'm like, he's here? No. <laughs> you know how when you have a little kid and they're like running? And this is the example Regina gave me yesterday. And you grab them by the belt loop. And they're, they're running, but they're really not going anywhere. I feel like that was what was happening to me. I thought I was, you know, running from God, but I was actually running to him. So let's fast forward. Let me speed this up because I feel like there's some things prophetically that I'm supposed to release over your body. Um, but a few years later, I had accomplished everything I set out to do. We had just built a big five-bedroom home. He bought me a Mercedes for one of our anniversaries, and we're, like, living it up. We're living the American dream. My kids are healthy. He loves me and serves me. And, you know, just I had everything that the world said would make you happy, and I was miserable. I was so unfulfilled. My heart ached, and what it was is I missed Jesus. I started missing Jesus so much. I was like, and then, of course, at that point, I'm like, 
well, I've kind of gone off and done my own thing and married a heathen. And I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I can do that, Elvis. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but honestly, like, we were not designed. I'm going to tell you this right now. You were not designed for the American dream. The American dream is great in its own right. I believe God wants to take care of us and bless us beyond measure, okay? At the same time, the American dream is not the fulfillment. Did you know that statistically in America, middle and upper class professionals are the most medicated people group on the planet? There's more antidepressants and, you know sleeping pills and stuff like that you know where our church is on the north shore it is the richest parish in louisiana saint tammany parish guess what highest suicide rate in louisiana yeah yeah highest suicide rate in louisiana is saint tammany parish we hear of parents giving their kids five six hundred dollars on a weekend and saying i'll see you on monday i'll see you on monday See, the money's not going to buy you happiness. I always heard this comment, and I'll let, I'll let her get back. Money does not, does not show your character. It only amplifies who you are. Yeah. If you're a butt before, you're going to be a greater butt after. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But if you are compassionate and you love people, <laughs> You will be far greater compassion, more compassion after the money. You will give more away than you ever have before. So money will not buy you success. Not yeah. success in the kingdom's mind. Right. It may in everybody else's mind, but it yeah. won't there. So I end up completely love sick and heart sick for Jesus. But I felt so condemned. I was like, how could I ever, like, I gave him all the middle finger and left like how yeah. can I like you know just felt so unworthy and so condemned and I always related to um, the Shulamite and Song of Solomon 3 and I was in that place why did I let him go from me how my heart aches for him but he's nowhere to be found so I must rise in search of him looking throughout the city seeking until I find him even if I have to roam every street nothing will keep me from my search where is he my soul's true love he's nowhere to be found and it, it goes on and it says um just as i moved past them i encountered him i found the one i adore i caught him and i fastened myself to him refusing to be feeble in my heart again now i will bring him back to the temple within where I was given new birth into my innermost parts, the place of my conceiving. And I remember as, as I started like just crying out to him going, God, I know I'm not worthy to be your daughter. I know you called me and I squandered my calling. I, I, I threw it away and I, I, I mistreated people and, you know, it just fell. I was so condemned. And, and so I remember doing what I said I wouldn't do, because remember, I left the church, and I was like, I ain't ever coming back. Like, 
You know, it probably been like three years. I mean, she since. had me. She didn't have to go back, right? Uh, you know, I'm picking. dear baby Jesus. So, um, so I do what I said I would never do, and I went back to church. And guess where I went? To the church we were on staff at, because it was Come like on. that was like, you know, my home church. So I walk in, and it was like the walk of shame. It's like, yeah. how you doing? Everybody's looking and whispering. I don't know what's going on. I'm just yeah. like, hey, how are you doing? Yeah, he's oblivious. You. I'm there. Nice to meet you. Oh. So I hear, here I am walking in. Yeah. What's yeah. Up? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. Hey, man. Good. How you doing? Yeah. How you doing? You know her? Oh, what's <laughs> <sighs> so, so I go back to church, right? And I'm sitting there. And honestly... They started singing this song and like my spirit baby jumped and I was like, that's still there. Like, you know, you just, you think, is it have been so long since I, you know, felt that. And, and so they're singing and I I feel my spirit, like that baby come alive. And I'm like, is that still there? Like, I, I just didn't even know that God really had that much mercy that he actually never leaves us we we read that and say that all the time that he never leaves us or forsakes us yet we believe that we he can or that we can you know and so I remember sitting there and and uh, my pastor is preaching on revival history and he's talking about Smith Wigglesworth and, and uh, Azusa Street. And he's talking about all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, because I've always been like, uh, you know, just a more extreme radical. And so he says, he says, and then you have Amy Simple McPherson. And when he said her name, the power of God hit me. Like, it, it was crazy. And I was like, I, I knew. I didn't even hear the rest of the message. I didn't even know. Like, I was like, God, what is that? And, and so we, we run home, and I, I Google her, and I'm like, you God, why? You ran home. I just drove you. Well, he drove, and I ran. So, um, <laughs> so I look up her name, and I download her book called This Is That. And it was her, like, personal story, her memoir, and, you know, of, of like, everything that she had been through. And when I began to read that book, what she pinned over a hundred years ago at that point, God breathed on and used it to completely set me free from the condemnation that I was living in. When, when I saw that she was broken, she was really a messed up chick at points in her life and that God actually used her to change the world. He gave her a city and I'm like, wait, you mean like divorce isn't the be all end all that didn't I, maybe my calling is still intact like and 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 so I read that whole book within like a day right I just I was devouring it I was weeping I was crying I love how Lou Engel says he says Moses got a burning bush but I got a burning book um and he was talking about I think he read Azusa or you know William Seymour or something and for me that's what God just used that book to like breathe on me again and awaken me that led to a 30-day encounter with Jesus she went cuckoo for 30 days with God in a good way (laughs) in a good way but you got to understand I have no grid for this none I grew up a Baptist and it was hellfire brimstone may the God of blasphemy come down on you 
in the midst of your mess. You know, you better turn. You're going to hell. That's what I grew up with. So I don't have a grid for this. For nothing. So I'm looking at my wife. I'm going, God, what have you done with my wife? I'm literally weeping for hours and days crying as God began to bring back every prophetic word that had ever been spoken over my life. It was like as if he was like downloading it again and re-prophesying it over me to awaken those seeds that had been planted, you know. And I would just lay on the floor and, and weep and cry. And, and, I, then, and then it transformed like as soon as he got me like, um, yeah, I know. He is my personal interpretive dancer. <laughs> I actually pay him to travel with me. Just kidding. I could. <laughs> Brad, there you go. Please take him. <laughs> Please take him, Brad. Just kidding. Um, but it was for 30 days. That's all she did. Every day I come home, she's crying. And I'm going, God is so good. I couldn't even go to work. I couldn't even put makeup on because it was just, I remember like day like 21, I tried to go to lunch with my sister and we're sitting in a restaurant and all of a sudden another wave hit me, bam. And I'm just like crying and sobbing and I'm like, God is so good. He's so good. He's so good. And I would have to leave the restaurant. Like it was crazy. Well, halfway through that, God began to give me open visions, okay? And he began to show me what he wanted to do in New Orleans. He began to show me what he wanted to do in our city, but that it wouldn't just be in our city, that what he actually wanted to do in America. And I remember, I, I just knew that I knew that I knew that God wanted to bring revival to America, and I would wake up up out of a dead sleep I would be sleeping and I would wake up and jump out of the bed and I would say there's gonna be a revival in the land and I'm like screaming like revival's coming and he's going I'm asleep I think we might need I'm to like go. waking up going are you watching a bad movie did you have a nightmare what's going on he didn't even oh, know what it's revival just you was. and God again okay I'm good Put my earphones in. And it was so bad. It was a good, obviously good bad. But he, he showed me a move that was coming that I had never had any grid for. I never even read about it in history book. And one of the things was I saw it happening in the streets. Yeah. And I saw it in fields and stadiums. And every time he would show me a glimpse of it, it was just massive amounts of people, but it was always outside of the context of conventional church. I saw revival hit right in the middle of our city. And what I think is so crazy is that even like saints and sinners, there's 1200 <laughs> blocks of the French quarter yeah. and saints and sinners is in the 600 block, 627, like right in, right in the middle of our city. And in the middle between Rampart and Decatur. Yeah, so it is literally the center. dot drops in the dead center of the French Quarter. 
And I saw like, like worship happening and Bible studies and preaching happening like on street corners. I saw the dirty kids and the homeless leading it. I wasn't even working with the homeless at that point. Like I had no idea really the things that he was showing me. I just knew that it was more real than the air I was breathing. I knew that I knew that I knew that God was about to move in America. So point one of my AKA message that I want to release to you guys this morning is God is about to move in America. Yes. He is. And it will no longer be about the church, but it will be about the church becoming revival. It's going to be about God empowering you guys. He spoke to me so clearly during this whole process. And he said, um, you know, because I, I, of course the champions of faith, like Amy and, um, uh, Catherine Kuhlman and different ones. And, and, he, he told me, he said, Heather, it is no longer, this move that is coming is no longer going to be about the man or woman of power for the hour, but I'm going to take that same anointing that Catherine Coleman walked in and I'm going to breathe it on a generation. Yeah. And, um, I was like, you know, I, I just, it was literally blowing my mind, um, And up until this point, the church had really been, um, we've actually been really good at getting people to heaven, but we haven't, we have failed to bring heaven here. Yeah. We, we, we know how to get them saved, but it's almost like it stopped there. And in this move of God that's coming, this awakening that's coming is going to sweep across the earth and it's going to look like heaven coming here that we won't even have to. I love how Georgie and Banoff says, I don't preach hell. He said, there's no need to preach hell. Show them heaven and they won't want hell. Yeah. So I, I believe that that's part of what we're really walking into. Um, then also, God is breaking the rules to go after the people he's longing to restore. I came out of this, com- this encounter completely revolutionized. I fell so deeply, madly in love with the person of Jesus. And guess what happens when you fall in love with Jesus? You tell everybody and you fall in love with humanity, which is not a very easy thing to do. And I mean that sincerely. You have to understand that she has this encounter and I'm literally dragged into it because she says we have to go to the streets of New Orleans and start ministering to people. I said, well, I don't know how to minister to anybody. I said, but you're not going by yourself. So see, God, see, God's weird that way. <laughs> he says, you don't want to go, but because you love her and you want to protect her, you got to go. It's called Jehovah Sneaky. He said, he said, is that what it's called? <laughs> is that? No. Okay. So... But the weird part about it, and so I want to encourage some of the women here today. Because you're in relationships right now where you feel like your man's not anywhere closer to God than than he needs to be. He needs to be closer to him. And some of you are here today. What I'm going to tell you is he will rub off on them. Yep. He will rub off on them. Yes. And he didn't just rub off on me. 
it, it just swelled on me. Because the first night we go out to the streets, he had her do something else. Darren, we're, me and Lindsay, we're going to sit back here. And you go ahead and you just start all the conversations. <laughs> do you know who you're talking? I don't know any. I don't have none of this. So I did what but I best know. I just went up to somebody. First guy I walked up to, I said, hey, bro, what's up? How you doing, man? Good to see you. Need some clothes, food, socks? No? All of a sudden, Heather and Lindsay just bombard me, throw me to the side. And they go, do you know Jesus? <laughs> he was the icebreaker. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I just did my job. Let me finish. <laughs> and after being a Christian my whole life, I, 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 again, I came out of this. And for the first time, I realized that the gospel of Jesus is completely outrageous. Yeah. It really, really is. The ministry of Jesus was controversial and provocative. His love was actually scandalous. Come you want to talk about scandal? His love was scandal. I mean, it would take, um, it, it, he would take a, a son that should have been stoned by the law for dishonoring his father, like in Luke 15. And he, he showed us the example of extending mercy. And, and a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And he, he, he stooped with her. And he, mm -hmm. it, it was just, it began to blow my mind that I had been presented my whole life growing up in church and even seeing the miraculous and stuff that I, I, I still thought that it was this, you know, sweet little conservative Jesus and, and the big angry father who was just waiting for you to, you know, mess up so he could like make you pay for your sin. I got you. You messed up again. And, and it was just like so scandalous. And then I realized, I'm like, hey, they didn't kill Jesus for loving the poor. They killed him for stories like that, for extending mercy to those that religion would say deserve death. Yeah. And I say it all the time. Jesus did not die on the cross to modify your behavior. Ooh, come on. He didn't die on the cross so that you could stop smoking. No. Although it's probably a good idea because it's yeah. not healthy. Yeah. Um, but God, he did not die on the cross for that. He actually died on the cross and rose again to resurrect every area of your life. Yeah. And he doesn't want you to come to him out of obligation because you end up resenting him when, resenting him when you do. You got to understand. See, I love my wife, all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my body. See, I do things for her because I love her, not because I have to. Yeah. See, God doesn't want you to come because you have to. He wants you to come because you want to. He wants you to do it out of love because he knows once you love him, woo, woo, your life will be turned upside down to such a degree that every place you walk, every footstep you take, every word that comes out of your mouth, the people around you will know one thing. They're going to say, I want what he's got. Yeah. I want what she's got. You don't even have to speak a word. I'll never forget it. We're walking on the street, and I'll let you get back. Yeah, because I've got a lot of... I'm, okay. <laughs> Who gave him that microphone? <laughs> Just kidding. 
she invited me. So we're walking on the streets of New Orleans, and I'll never forget this day because I thought it was one of the most amazing prophetic things that God ever showed me. And it was something so simple but so prophetic because we're walking down the street, and there's these three guys sitting there, and two of them were gay, and um, they're kissing. And we're walking up. We're about to give them some clothes and water and stuff. And as we walk up, the other guy goes like this. Taps the people that are kissing. And he goes, hey, they love Jesus. We said, I said, what? I couldn't believe it. We were a good 10, 15 foot away from them. We had nothing like, oh, praise God and go to heaven and nothing on our shirts and, you know, life, whatever it is. Turn or burn. Yeah. We didn't, we didn't have any of that on us. And for the first time doing that street ministry, God said to me, he said, see, you don't have to say a word. He said, because when you carry me, I will convict. See, I don't have to. See, I don't have to convict. See, it's through our love that conviction comes by him, not by me. And that's what changed my life that day. Yeah. That's what changed my life. All right, so I'm going to roll through these because I'm looking at It's 1130. Okay. Hey, they ain't got no place to go. We can <laughs> Stop. <laughs> so, but this, the scandalous Jesus, the outrageous Jesus is actually the Jesus the world is desperate to encounter. Yes. I always sit with the street kids all the time and they, they tell me and, you know, you know, the gypsy hippie kids. And, and I'm like, I, I listen to them and I'm like, that's the gospel. They're actually, we're actually set up um, this whole generation of like the new age and the spiritual and all that. They're perfectly positioned. And once they get connected to the right power source, we're going to see that's going to be, honestly, when this whole thing begins to sweep the streets of America, yeah. just like in the Jesus People movement. It was the very rebellious ones that were out there that the church was preaching against every Sunday that were actually the leaders that God rose up. And in this, is, in this day and time, God is raising up unlikely leaders. Jesus constantly broke the rules, the religious rules to get people that needed him the most. Come on. And see, I believe that God is actually going to, as I'm speaking this morning, I believe that the Holy Spirit is moving and he's moving on your hearts and he's going to actually begin to break those confinements off of your life and the, and the boxes that you've actually put yourself in. But when you read the gospels of Jesus, he healed on the Sabbath. That was like crazy. Yeah. He touched the unclean. Come on. Jesus liberated women. Come on. Jesus was the founder of the women's liberation movement. Don't let anybody fool you. He was actually, he was our embodied Patrick Swayze that came onto the scene and said, nobody puts baby in, in the a corner. corner. And so, yes, yeah, so women get ready. In John 4, he, <laughs> I'm going to start preaching now. I'm just going to start rolling. No. In John 4, 
He broke the ethnic rule and the gender rule to encounter one broken woman at a well. Five husbands living with number six, one encounter with love himself, and she wins her city. And actually, church history ends up telling us that she was an apostle that turned the Middle East upside down. And yeah. I remember in the school of life, Brad said one, he, he said this statement and it just, oh, it was so profound and so simple. He said, one person in love can change a whole city. And honestly, in so many ways, I, that's all I feel like. I feel like I was the broken girl that encountered love and God sent me back to my city. Because once I encountered him, I began to fall in love with my city. I mean, I always liked New Orleans, you know, it was like cool, like whatever. But I began, I I began to walk the streets and God would break my heart for the city itself. And he would be, he would begin to show me his plan and his purpose for our city. And I believe that you guys are going to become ignited for your city. I really do. I believe that God has marked you guys as a hot spot, as a, as a church that's actually going to change a city in this season. So now I'm just speaking a little bit prophetically of what I believe God showed me and brought me here actually to release to you guys. God is flipping the script. He's busting out of the box and he's about to bust you out of your box. I came out of this encounter so full of love for humanity that I thought I would explode. And God sent me. See, when, you, when you're full of love, who's God going to send you to? The unloved, right? He sent me to the addicts, to the prostitutes, to, to the people that, that society didn't want, that were marginalized, that were voiceless. And we had no idea what we were doing. So I, I, no. want you, I want you to understand that just because you feel like, well, I don't have any grit or understanding for that, that we're actually walking in a moment, almost like a Kairos moment, where God is actually going to call people to do things that they know nothing about. I had no qualifications to counsel or minister to the addicts, yet God would give me divine wisdom and revelation to actually set people free. And I'm like, I, I have, I've never even smoked pot in my life. I have no grid. I maybe have been addicted to cookies, you know, (laughs) but I, I had no, no grid for that. And apparently I don't actually fit into the mold of what people think of as a street evangelist. I have no idea why. And neither do I. And, 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 you know, the one thing that I will, I will just say on that point is, you know, when Heather brought me into the streets, you know, I had no understanding of what really who Jesus was. And the first couple of times I went out, I said, God, I'm doing this for you. And he asked me a simple question. He said, are you? He said, I think you're doing it for you. He said, I think you want to feel better about where you're at in your life. Hmm. He said, if it's truly about me, then you have to let me do it and not worry about what you say. He said, you don't have to be right. Don't argue with them. Yeah. You don't have to tell them what they're doing wrong. They already know. And he said, this, this is what changed me. Their soul's not your responsibility. Mm-hmm. He says, it's mine. 
He said, what I'm calling you to do is show them something they've never seen. See, if you show somebody what they've never seen, they want what they never had. They want what they never had. And that's where this change came with me. I'm, I'm being very honest with you. She drugged me, literally, by chain ball and just drugged me into it. But God and Christ. Oh, ball and chain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but God and Christ invited me. He invited me. He said, I don't want you to come if you have to. He said, I'm inviting you to partner with me in doing what this city needs. So New Orleans has now reduced its homeless rate by 90% in the last 10 years. Lowest murder rate in 60 years. Lowest crime rate in 55 years. What came out of this is there's six teams that go out every week. I have 33 places that we can send people free of charge to rehabs. We get them in the housing, we get them uni, but it's only through relationship and they're doing it every week. You can't do it once a year at Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving. So good. See ya. I hope you enjoyed your supper. Bye. You can't do that. Right. It's got to be every week. That's what changes the city. Yes. And so some, God is actually going to call some of you to do things that you thought you would never do. And, and I look at the way that he used um, Peter and Paul and how he actually flipped that script because he sent an uneducated cussing fisherman to the, to the elite scholars, the elite Jewish scholars, right? And he sent the intellectual scholar of scholars, Paul, mm -hmm. to the uneducated Gentiles. Yeah. And so I, I believe that actually God does that to us on purpose sometimes because he needs us to not know what we're doing. I think Come sometimes on. like there's, there's so much emphasis on let's have another conference about healing the sick. And I think he needs to keep us dumb sometimes. And I think Ooh, that I'll be that, dumb. Um, I will be dumb like, every that's time. That's not very hard to do. But I think that sometimes, <laughs> I feel like sometimes we know too much. And there are things that God wants to call us to do that we have no grid for because then that's actually how he can move. So I want you to begin to even think and like actually re um, remove the restrictions off of your own mindset, the, own bo your, the box that you've put yourself in. Because see, conventional wisdom would say, okay, you're in the fashion and beauty industry. You know, well, then God's going to send you back to the fashion and beauty industry. And you're going to, and, and I have, and God will do that. But then when God calls you to the prostitutes and the homeless and the broken dressed like this or whatever. And, and it doesn't make sense to people. It actually like blows their mind. It, it provokes them. And so I really believe that in this season, that's what God's doing. He's out, he's moving outside of the box and outside of our normal conventional wisdom, so to speak. Um, the other thing that I feel like very strongly about David and Amber and this, like, what God's doing here through you guys, this movement. One of the things that, that God showed me is that before he moves in a city, he positions people. Okay. So there was this guy named flip that was a, a, a see, I see the train hippie kids. Yeah. And you know, I'm like, 
they're very guarded and like they have, they're almost like a little pack, like a little uh, subculture cult, you know, and it's like hard to get in because they don't want your sympathy. They won't come to your feeding program. They're just like total and rebellious. And they will read through your BS. Oh yeah. So okay. flip. Okay. So here's this 40 year old drug addict, right? That is like the papa of all the street kids in New Orleans. And we met him and God opened up through Flip and through us building a relationship with him, a whole people group who then trusted us, right? And I asked God one day, I'm like, it's so weird because Flip hasn't changed at this point. He's still like yeah, doing yeah. drugs and like whatever, but he loves us for some reason. Amen. Like he loves us. What's up? And, um, and he said, God told me, he said, um, Flip is one of your Rahab's. And what I feel for you guys is that God, uh, within the city that you haven't even met yet, that God has, um, Rahab's position. There's, there's, there's people that are maybe not even saved yet that are actually the key to cities and that God is going to, to begin to bring that, um, those divine connections and, um, God will go before you and he will prepare Rahab's for this moment. And I look at like before Joshua and them took Jericho, that he had to position a prostitute, that she became the key to a whole city. And I just, I know that I know that I know that even in this city, there are Rahab's. There are, there are those that are going to open up um, avenues and windows for the whole city um, that God's going to connect you guys with. And he's actually going to redeem Rahab's through you guys because how crazy is this again the, the scandalous love of god that a prostitute would be in the lineage of jesus um and that's yeah. what redemption looks like god isn't scared of rahab he's not scared of where she's been or what she's nope. done and the church it's time for us to get over that and be like oh well they're not even a believer i can't partner with them really because in the bible god actually called men to partner with prostitutes how's that strategy for you can yeah. you imagine Telling two of your spiritual sons, calling them to Jericho and be like, hey, you get there, this just prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to go to her house. And like, you know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. But that's, that's, I believe that that is prophetically, honestly, what God is doing in this day and, this, and in this time. He's positioning Rahab's in our city. And God's actually going to call us to build strategic relationships with these rehabs and then it's going to allow cities the king of glory to come into cities um and by partnering pro with prostitutes actually i have a whole sermon on it and i call it i wanted to call it partnering with prostitutes but i thought it's already like yeah. weird you know so. that i we get a lot of controversy so yeah. i'm like I called it redeeming Rahab. Yeah, so, so my, so my wife actually has another outreach that we do in New Orleans with a, another lady from our church, and they actually go into the strip clubs. And um, they've already helped three or four get off the street or off the, out of the out strip of the clubs, uh, yeah. out of domestic, uh, really abusive things. So they do that too. And, I mean, the things that we're doing, uh, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not for everyone, you know. It may not be your calling. Man, it's just weird how much it is for us. You know what I'm saying? Like, it may not be your calling, but you have your calling. See, God speaks to you every day. <laughs> you just don't listen all the time. Because I didn't. But it's amazing when you calm your mind down. And when you listen to him, 
He will give you stuff. But here's the weird part. He will put people in your life to confirm what he's already given you. Yeah. Do you know that? People that don't even know you will come up to you and go, hey, do you know? And it's a confirmation. Now, here's the key. When that confirmation comes, will you? I love faith because faith is a belief, but without the step, there's none. Will you take the step? See, I think he's asking you all to take a step. Take a step and go to the people that will never walk through this door. Yes. In your everyday life. I'm a financial advisor. I get an hour of people every day. 90% of them are Catholic. You know what I do for 15 minutes? I talk about investments. Hey, that's good. How's the mama? You know, how's your daddy? Then I talk about Christ for the next 45 minutes. Now, if they don't want to listen, I'm cool. But most of the time they do. Because they have no grid for what I bring to them. Yeah. And you have a way. I'll leave you with this. I won't say anything else. I'm going to let you finish. I always say this to people on the street. You are uniquely designed to affect the people that only you can affect. Uniquely. 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 Uniquely designed. Because, see, the people you can touch, I won't ever come in contact with probably. So if you don't do it, then who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Don't worry about what you look like. Let your pride go out the window. See, you don't understand that when people, you think they're rejecting you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ. Okay? And Christ's like, I'm good. I'm good. They can reject me all they want. But they're not rejecting you. When you get past that, Guess what? Those people's walls come down because they know they can't phase you. So God's not only going to call you guys to do things you know nothing about. He's also going to call you. I hate to tell you this. He's actually going to call you to do things that you don't want to do. Yeah. (laughs) Ask me how I know. Okay, I'll tell you. You asked. I'll tell you. Um, so we're here, we are getting people off the streets and we're getting people saved and healed. And, and, and one day I'm asking God, I'm like, God, I mean, this is amazing, but this isn't the move that I saw hitting our city. Like what is, what is like next step, you know? And then he began to talk to me. Um, and I love what David has told me before. He was like, and now what? Right. So that was really what my question to God was like, okay, all this is happening and it's great, but now what, like, what is the, what's step two? And so he began to talk to me. He asked me to actually do the unthinkable and he began to talk to me about community and yes, starting a church. And that was hard for me because I was still processing so much church hurt and my dad was a pastor. I saw it like really destroy him at one point in his life like and so I have this deep wound and I have this like offense towards you know that the whole office of pastor so Jesus just began to talk to me he's like we don't do catch and release he's basically showing me like I mean we would catch him and then we're just like oh, okay go about your way and be blessed you know and he began to just show me how he's like I don't just save people out of sin, I saved them into a family. And, and so he talked to me about, you know, building a church. And so we did what every church planting um, model would say was complete 
you know, suicide. It's going to fail. And we planted a church with 10 homeless people, four friends, yep. and no money. None whatsoever. So, um, yeah, we were, we, we've learned so much through this process, but I fought it and we did it and we have some of the most beautiful, crazy stories, but we cannot go into it because just we one, don't have time. Just one. Hurry up. Quick. George, like <laughs> George, his name was Redbeard on the streets for three and a half years, drank a fifth of whiskey every day, every day. So we would just love on him, love on him, love on him, love on him, love on him. And I never ask any of our street people to give their lives to Christ. You know what I ask them? Are you tired? Are you tired? And I know when they're ready. So George comes up one day. We're sitting in there and uh, feeding pizza and Heather's preaching. And all of a sudden, in the middle of her sermon, George starts walking up. Kneels down, starts weeping. I asked him, are you tired? He goes, yes. I said, I can get you somewhere. He goes, okay. Three days later, we had him in a rehab center in Mississippi. I'll let Heather tell you what we, what we just did for him and what he's doing now. So now he actually, um, he, he completed the program. He's hired at the facility and actually runs and started a whole feeding program where he's feeding over 1,200 people a week. And I think from our little lunch that we gave him, now he's feeding thousands. And I'm just like, that's just crazy. That's, but that's the kingdom. And that's, you he know, just, just saw his our... sister for the first time in eight years, Christmas. First time he had flown in 49 years, which that's how old he is. Yeah, it was ever. his first time ever. It was Christmas. So it, we stay in contact, and that's what she's talking about. You you have to build relation. Yeah. You know, I just can't come up to you. Relationship. Yeah. Relationship. Because it's only through relationship that growth comes. Yes. Yes. So what we've learned through the whole process is that we marry our mission, but we date our methods. And what I mean by that is our, our mission doesn't change. It's to see the broken restored and the, and the people without a family find a family. But the methods, what God has showed me is like, don't marry a method. Because the minute you marry a method, he's going to have to flip the script. Because yep. it is, we do not live in a kingdom that is pro programmed. We do not live. That's why Jesus, every miracle that he did was different. Yep. Because it was his message was the same, right? To, you mm -hmm. know, restore the broken. But his methods changed. And so we've learned so much. And fast forward. And if we have a piano player, mm -hmm. if you guys could come up. Because there are some people I want to minister to. And I need music to be anointed. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'll let you do that. Okay, I'm going okay, to let you finish. Okay, I just okay. want to say one thing. <laughs> this, this struck me last night, and there are a couple people here tonight that I spoke to, and I'm not going to point y'all out. But there's something here tonight, there's something in this church that I really think um, needs to be spoken. There's a lot of unforgiveness that's floating around. I'm going to tell you something. Eight years ago, I carried so much unforgiveness for my dad. He's gone now. 
He gave his life to Christ a couple of years before he passed away. But I remember walking up to him, and God said, you have to forgive him. I said, man, you just don't know. He did. I walked up to my dad. He said, but God prepared me. He prepared me. He said, be prepared that your answer is not going to be what you expected. So, okay. I said, I can handle this. So I went up to my dad in just my nonchalant voice. I said, hey, dad. Yeah. Love you, dad. He didn't say it. I said, I forgive you. He said, for what? Thanks, God. But I said, I said to my dad, we all need forgiveness. So I didn't have to tell him what for. I didn't, I didn't have to bring up his past and our relationship. I had to forgive, but not for him, for me. Now, I didn't condone how he treated me. It didn't condone the relationship. It didn't give him a free pass. I didn't have to convict him, though. See, that's, that's the thing. When you carry unforgiveness, it's because you want to be judge, jury, and executioner. But if you'll forgive, he'll give you peace. He'll give you peace. And it's only through peace that walls come down in people's hearts. See, we don't, pray, we don't pray for protection when we go to the streets. I pray for one thing every time, peace. Because I know if they have peace and we have peace, they're going to be open to what God wants to give them. Unforgiveness will destroy you. You have to forgive yourself too. And that's hard to do. Take it from someone who has been very hard to do. But if you'll do it, He'll remove all those things that you asked for forgiveness for. He will. If someone needs to forgive or needs forgiveness for themselves, just please stand. We're family here. say something really simple may God break the chains that have kept you captive and allowed you to carry a burden that you should have never carried may he strip the thoughts of the devil that come into your mind about yourself every day May you feel his love to such a degree that when those thoughts come, he shatters them. May he give you the strength and the wisdom to forgive those that you need to forgive. Knowing, I'm going to say this with all, knowing you will never get the answer that you desire. that he will show you an unwavering understanding of his forgiveness for you.
It is. But he loves you. He loves you. See, it's an unconditional love that will change the lives of not only you, but the people around you. If you forgive, I will promise you one thing. You will sleep greater than you ever have before. You will have wisdom above everything else. You will love unconditionally because you won't come with an agenda. You will carry him in such a way that the people around you will look at you and go, I want what they got. I need what she has. Because the chaos and turbulence in my life is too much to handle. See, forgiveness, what he did for us on the cross. When he looked down, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. You don't understand the hurt in the people that you haven't forgiven what they're carrying. They're carrying more hurt. You don't even know what they're going through. And they're asking, you know what they're asking from you? They're asking you to wallow in their mess. Stop doing it. And bring them to your joy. Bring them to your joy. Through your forgiveness. If you do it, you will change lives greater than you ever thought you could. Yes. You will change lives greater than you ever thought you could. Forgiveness. The greatest thing you can do, the greatest gift you can have, not only for yourself but other people, is forgiveness. Because with that comes true love. See, then you don't carry those chains. I have a tattoo. I have the hands of God breaking the chains on my arm. Above it, there's a cross. At the bottom of the cross, it says love. At the top of the cross, it says Savior. See, He breaks your chains to teach you to love so He can be your Savior. But once He becomes your Savior, (laughs) you know how to love so you can help people break their chains. Guys, this is a simple thing. He's not complicated. That's what her whole message is today. This is not complicated. He says do one thing, love. Love. All else is just secondary. Secondary. Lord, I just pray that everyone that stood up and even the ones that haven't, that are just scared to stand up because they're afraid of what you might do in their life. They're afraid that if they let go of that unforgiveness, that they'll lose their identity. That they won't have something that'll drive them every day. I pray that they find you in their heart. I pray that they find forgiveness because it will destroy them if they don't. I pray that you love them like you've loved me. Like you've loved my wife. I pray that you love them like I love my children. I pray that they look up at you the way that five-year-old child looks up at their mom and dad with an unconditional love that they know that love through 
forgiveness. I thank you for them, all of them, because I know it's through them that you are going to change lives. I speak peace over everyone's life. Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Powerful. Go ahead and be seated real quick. Um, we're going to continue to minister. Heather's got some prophetic words and has uh, some, a little bit more to share. So we want to ask you guys not to leave. But this is the spot where I'm going to have to ask you to grab your kids in a moment. But first, we'd like to receive an offering for this conference. We need to bring in about twenty to $25,000. This is a huge giving church. We've never had a conference where we brought in less. So I'm asking you guys to give deep. You know, when you give, you're sowing into their lives. And you're sowing into their city. Right? You're sowing into what God's doing in them. And in turn, I promise you, we reap from that. What you give to, you reap from. So I'd like to ask you all to please give abundantly uh, towards this conference. There's three ways that you can do it. You can go online at rockcitycorpus.com slash give. You can text right now to 77977 and uh, type in Rock City Corpus in all caps and you can give to the Focus 2020 conference and then right now you can give by cash or check. This will go to cover all the expenses of all the ministers that have come as well as blessing them with offerings as they go home and uh, to invest into their lives, all right? So uh, go ahead and grab an envelope, please, and prepare to give. And then ushers, you can go ahead and pass the buckets. And uh, please grab your kids. You can bring them back in. And uh, have you enjoyed Heather and Darren? Has this been awesome? And uh, we don't want you guys to stop. So keep going. And maybe just briefly tell us how you got your church. Wasn't that a supernatural story? Yeah. All right. Okay. So really quickly, um, we had started a church in the inner city of New Orleans. And we felt like every door just kept closing. We would get a building and get kicked out of the building because people don't like the homeless or for whatever reason. It just like the doors in the city kept getting closed, even though I knew God had spoke to me about the city. Right. And I'm like, why is this happening? And then all of a sudden, one day I get a phone call from one of my dad's friends who's looking to retire. He's on the North Shore of the city, which I, again, I said I would never do. I would never go to the suburbs and never, you know, do anything like that because like leave me with the street people and that's yeah. where I'm happy. So we ended up like God had to arrest me because I said no for like six months. I was like, I don't want your church. No. Like, and he was like, but you can make it your own. I have 30 people. I have this building and like, you know, stuff. And I'm like, no, I don't want to be in the suburbs. God didn't call. I saw the move of God was in the city, you know, and I'm like just being really, persistent that I knew better. Right. So then one day I'm, I'm just praying again. And Jesus is like, um, hello. Okay. Now it's time to get aggressive because you ain't listening. And he's like, 
I am giving you an opportunity. Every door that was closed for you, I'm opening other doors. And he said, you don't understand. How did it work out for you starting a church with 10 homeless people? It didn't work out very good. One day we had five drunk ushers. Yeah. Two of them were passed out under the pew. I mean, how do you build a church with that? Like I was like, oh my God. Like I, I did everything, everything wrong. Right. So God's like, hello. Like I have to, we have to layer this foundation and he goes, yes, I'm going to move in the city, but I'm also going to move in the burbs. And he was like, I'm strategically placing you. So I said, yes. So then we take over this little weird, sweet, dysfunctional (laughs) church. Um, they, they had a building and like $50,000 and they just gave it to us. And so, you know, we just, it took off from there. We have about 200, uh, people now and just growing and we still don't know what we're doing. And I think, again, it's exactly where God wants us to do. You know, and and two, like all the doors that closed in the city, um, you know, one day I'm sitting in the dirt with the street kids and I get a phone call and it's, it's Keith who owns saints and sinners with Channing Tatum. And he's like, Hey, like I heard about what you do. Somebody gave me your number. He's like, I had this crazy encounter with God. And he said, who's this weird dude talking to my wife? He said, I'm about to, um, move. God tells him I'm about to move in new Orleans. And he's like, I need your business. And he doesn't even know what that means. He's a hippie. He went out to like hug a tree and find a center and he found Jesus. And, um, so he's like, and, and he's like, so we want to give you free use of our place and, and see what that looks like. And so I guess my point to everything is that God is going to flip the script. Sometimes we don't get any time. We think we have it figured out. God is going to move in a totally different way or use a different avenue. So for every door that's closed, God has a bigger opportunity is my point to that. And um, I want to, there's a scripture that I feel like is for your body because God just began to speak to me last night so clearly about how you guys are going to, y'all are going to host a move of God here. Yeah. And I know it's already swirly and you guys are presence driven and the whole thing, but there's another, there's another level coming. There's a breath of God coming and it's going to get real. It's going to get real. And Amber, I saw over you, um, it was just so tender and so sweet. God began to speak to me about you and, uh, I'm not going to cry. Um, 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 you have a move of God inside of your belly and you carry like Mary and God is actually, Jesus is going to be birthed in your city through you. Even though you are married to an amazing leader and God's going to use you guys together, actually the tenderness of Jesus, of what he wants to birth in Corpus Christi is in your womb. And, um, 
I saw like God even using, um, you know, we talked about the homeless the other night and then Brad had that prophetic word and nobody knew like, oh my God, just so crazy. But there's actually, um, there's a move of God inside of you and it, it's actually is unconventional. It's very, it's, it's like an anointing of justice. You're going to be a voice for the voiceless and actually God's going to raise you up. I see you even like going into government to advocate for for people who don't have have a voice and God that the the weightiness of that is about to come on you and actually strategies from heaven because like we talked about what works in Mozambique or what works in New Orleans is not going to work here there's actually a specific blueprint that you're pregnant with that you're going to actually begin to give birth to and you are actually going to birth Jesus in this city Um, and it's it's going to be through that heart of compassion um, for the least of these that you kind of like don't know what to do. They kind of showed up literally at your doorstep and you're like, but you, God is like pulling your heart towards that. So <laughs> just get ready. <laughs> just get ready. Um, and when I was reading Song of Solomon, um, <sighs> this is what I felt over you guys. The move of God that you guys are going to host and encounter is, is very much like an awakening. It's more, it's going to be more than a, a church revival where people only come here to get filled and then it stays here. That, that kind of grid yeah, that we've had for so long. It's actually going to be, you guys are going to carry, there's, it's going to, it's going to start in individuals and manifest corporately and then spill out into the city and it's awakening. It's awakening. And, um, I got song of Solomon four sixteen. It says, then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I am fully yours. Okay. Some of you guys, you've been in this process and, and, and you, there are areas of your life that you still haven't surrendered. And, and this, God actually wants to breathe on you until you're fully his. We all have there. We're all coming into the fullness, right? There are always layers of things, of areas that God wants to um, bring into fullness. But I feel this over individually, uh, the, the family that God's assembled here. And then also corporately that's going to hit Corpus Christi. Then may your awakening breath blow upon my life until I'm fully yours. Breathe upon me with your spirit wind. Stir up the sweet spice of your life within me. Spare nothing as you make me into your uh, fruitful garden. Hold nothing back until I release your fragrance. You guys are going to be so overcome that honestly, all you got to do is go out and you're going to release the fragrance of God in the community. Walk, come walk with me as you walked with Adam in the paradise garden. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. I have come to you, my darling bride. And this is, I believe, just God talking to you guys, that he's come to you, my darling bride. You are my paradise garden. Come walk with me until I am fully yours. Come taste the fruits of your life in me. But there's an awakening breath, I just believe, coming on on you guys. Um, and two, I, I've, earlier when I was praying, I felt like there was somebody here with either scoliosis or like um, a back problems. Anybody have anything like spinal related? Okay. Can you come up, please? You guys come up. (laughs) 
And then when I saw your youth up here worshiping, oh my gosh. You're, you're going to have a, a radical, and you may already, but I just saw radical young people being mm-hmm. raised up out of here. Just oh, yeah. their own movement, you know. Why don't you guys stretch your hands this way and let's just begin to pray over them. Lord, I thank you right now from the top of her head to the soles of her feet, Father. Lord, I thank you for perfect alignment in this spine, complete healing in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord. I thank you that you blow your wind, your spirit life over her, Father, right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you right now, complete healing and complete restoration in Jesus' name. Wow. (laughs) Do you feel that? Thank you, Father, right now. Girl, you are marked. You are set apart. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shokura makiri andaraba soku yaramakate. Oh, Rabaka. Mark her for revival, Father. Mark her for revival. A revivalist she will be in the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you. I thank you for complete healing and restoration right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. Shorabakiri andaraba soku God is doing an inside-out work on you, Come on. Yes. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Right now, in the name of Jesus, from your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Lord, I thank you that you're releasing a river through her, Father. Lord, I thank you. Oh, what you're doing in her is going to flood out. It's going to even touch your family are those you have people that you're praying for for salvation do you have people that you're praying for god i I feel like as i see your tears falling i I see like them as like liquid letters to jesus and he's been reading them all even when you don't have the words to say or the words to express a prayer to pray that your tears are liquid prayers to god and that he's actually going there's a move of god um in for your family I, i see him bringing restoration and salvation god i thank you for family revival right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that you are healing her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet right now in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Father. Thank you that the work that you've begun in her, you're going to be faithful to complete. He will, he will, he will. And he keeps telling me, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. Don't be in fear that you're going to miss it. You can't miss it. (laughs) 